Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about it through the eyes of Matthew, and we'll be in chapter 23. We've already got the chapters done all the way up to 22, and you can go through the footnotes and the side panel uh, explanation of a lot of the things that are in those texts at preparingyou.com. And uh, I've got the audio up for last week's afternoon show uh, at uh, Covering Matthew 22. So, as I I mention this because I've I've heard numerous people in our local community, when I say local, within 100 miles of us or so, that uh, are starting Bible studies and... uh, you know, I've I've looked at a lot of Bible studies over the last uh, three quarters of a century, <laughs> and uh, there is a pattern of what is lacking in these Bible studies. There is a uh, a lack of vision of what the biblical narrative is really talking about, and and I've traced this back to at least Constantine. Of course, we can see evidence of it in uh, Corinthians and and references to Apollo, um, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 3, and he talks about, for ye are uh, yet carnal, and whereas there are, you know, people amongst you that have envy and strife and division. Are you not carnal and walk as men walk? Uh, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollo, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers of whom ye believed, and even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollo has watered, but God gave the increase. That's very important. God gave the increase. How does he give the increase? Well, there's numerous ways in which God operates. The means and methods of God are are uh, as infinite as God himself. But the reality is, is that God is supposed to be writing upon your hearts and upon your minds. And he does that through the tree of life, through the Holy Spirit, through his divine presence in you. And that presence is thwarted by you when you go against the will of God, when you do not the will of God, when you reject the will of God, when you reject the ways of God. Then God cannot write upon your heart and your mind. He he speaks to you with that still small voice, but you don't hear him because there's so much other noise. And the world is trying to make lots of noise in your minds and in your body and in in your heart. And uh, it distracts you. It creates fear, which is one of the reasons why Christ starts and says over 300 sometimes in the Bible, fear not. Now, we should not be fearing. And yet, we do. 
And so when we feel that fear, we say, well, let's go to church. Let's have a Bible study or, or maybe let's take drugs or, or let's just watch TV or let's overeat or, you know, whatever it is that becomes your distraction. And so coming, letting go of those distractions, fasting from those distractions and returning to the ways of Christ is returning to the way of light. And it's the way of truth. It's the way of seeing. You know, we've talked about in our uh, our study on Exodus, which is also available at Preparing You, that uh, one of the things that the Greeks said was know thyself. Well, if you were to know yourself and you were made in the image of God and you were really to truly know yourself, you would be approaching knowing God because you would... God is written in that image that he created you in. But we have recreated ourselves with the help of the world. The world has become the potter. And we have become its clay. And we have been manipulated in our thinking. And in the ways in which we do things. And we are no longer sons of Adam. And Jesus is referred to as the son of man. The son of Adam. But why wouldn't we all be considered sons of man? One, one of the, uh, in preparation for each of these shows, I, I read that particular chapter, uh, maybe a dozen times and go through it word by word and go through it in the Greek and sometimes even look at the, the Hebrew renditions of the same gospel. And I, I read all the, commentaries that are out there available, sometimes commentaries on each individual verse, and try to get a picture of it and put together these studies. But really, that's all tree of knowledge stuff to to do that. Ultimately, I have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to tell me what I need to tell you first. In a recent interview, it wasn't that recent, but it's recently come out where somebody interviewed me uh, somebody had listened to it and said that uh, people lose you when you start using words that people aren't familiar with. And and I said, well, what word was that? And and they uh, brought up a particular word. I said, I didn't say that word <laughs> in the interview. Oh, well, oh, maybe it was another word. And I said, well, what, what do you think it was? Because I can remember right offhand two or three different words that I mentioned. But, of course, I'm answering his questions. And uh, he brought up a, a, a question of Romans 13. And in that, I, I would mention the word that is translated into higher liberty, exousia, in the Greek, and what it means and what its definition is. Well, yeah, I know most people don't know what that word exousia is, which is why I'm defining it <laughs> and why I'm pointing out that you can you can look up in your concordance and, and whether you have... Uh, you know, whichever one, you know, the Strongs or uh, or uh, Thayers, they both say that that word means the power to choose, the right to choose. It's even translated liberty. And so I'm I'm not redefining it. I'm pointing out the definition that none of your other ministers or none of your other Bible studies point out. Why do they seem to skip such an obvious? Meaning, even people who have written whole books on Romans 13 
and I point out the definition that's right there in front of us of the word higher power actually means original liberty. Well, your original liberty was bestowed upon you by God. You were endowed by your creator with the right to choose. Of course, that first choice was between choosing to eat of the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of knowledge. I, I recently saw people talking about the, well, isn't knowledge good? Why should why did God try to keep us from knowledge? He didn't keep you from knowledge. He kept you from trying to decide what is good and evils based on your knowledge alone. Because he gave you another gift to eat from that was far better. He didn't say you you couldn't have knowledge. He couldn't it didn't say there couldn't be a tree of knowledge in your life. But to know what knowledge is true and what knowledge is not, what is real, what is not, what is the truth, what is the light, you need the tree of life. But unfortunately for a lot of people, to know the truth by way of the tree of life, you will also know the truth about yourself. And of course, right away, when we ate of the tree of knowledge, we tried to hide ourselves from the light of God. We we fled the light. We fled the garden. Because it was painful to see how naked we are. We are made in the image of God. We are not God. <laughs> that's, that's a disappointment to some people. But uh, the reality is, is that is where we wouldn't look at something anymore about ourselves and about our nature. And, of course, Christ came and tried to bring, as the Son of Man, the obedient Son of Man. You see, because the disobedient Son, he he loses his inheritance. He's not the Son anymore. He's a wanderer. He's this prodigal that needs to come back. Needs to return to the Father. Well, Jesus, and we'll see this in Matthew 23 and 24, this reference, you know, Matthew uses this phrase, Son of Man, many times. And to understand exactly what that means, mean we have to eat of the tree of life. We have to let the Holy Spirit write upon us. We have to let the light in. We have to let the life in. And we've seen in previous chapters where the rich man wanted to do more and to, to have eternal life. And Jesus says, if you want to approach life, to come near life, you had to keep the commandments. And that's all of them, not just a couple of them. You're not to be making covenants with other gods. Well, we give you a... A different view of that than you would get from many Bible studies. What does it mean to make a covenant with another God? What would that look like? And of course, in our Bible studies, we also point out that even though it's it's in the, the end of the commandments, you're not to be coveting your neighbor's goods. Anything that is your neighbor, his labor, his sweat, his toil, his house, you should not desire a piece of those things. You should not want to bite out of your neighbor. 
to fill your own belly. And of course, that's what people have done. They have made covenants with the rulers, the ruling judges of other nations, other people, in order to get benefits at the expense of their neighbor, their neighbor's house, their neighbor's property, their neighbor's sweat and toil, their polis, their city. That's the Greek word for city, polis. Becomes cities of blood. We see that phrase over and over again in the Bible. And a lot of people don't know what is the city of blood. It's a city where we all are in one purse. One cauldron. And we are the flesh that is boiled in that cauldron. And we bite one another. We eat the flesh of our neighbor in order to fill our own bellies. That is the picture that is drawn in the Old Testament. And that's what Christ is talking about in the New Testament. And John the Baptist is talking about where he says, okay, you need something. Don't do it by force. Don't do it by entering into covenants with men who want to put you in the cauldron where somebody else will decide, will have the liberty of choice to decide what you're going to distribute amongst the poor And what you're going to be able to keep. You don't have that liberty of choice anymore. That has been given to somebody else. You have abandoned the message of the Bible. From the Old to the New Testament. From Abraham and Moses and Ezekiel. Who was also called the Son of Man. And you have abandoned the ways of Christ. Which said to do all this by charity, by love for one another, by choice. That is the higher choice. And of course, in talking about that, we point out that if you put that word liberty, which that word is translated liberty in the Bible. It does mean the right to choose. If you let every man have the right to choose... Whether he's going to support you or take care of your parents or, or, you know, he may help you take care of your parents or he may help you educate your children by funding a private school that he allows all the public to come to. That's the way the schools were set up originally in America. You could go all the way through the college and universities and never pay tuition if you were poor and could make the grade. It was written into their bylaws for those schools that were privately funded or funded by tuition, but not by tax dollars. But we've changed. We've gone away from that. And we started going away from that many times throughout history. And then we would repent and come back. And and then we'd get farther away again. And then we maybe repent and get back. Recording those events and studying them in history may help us keep from following those same mistakes. The errors uh, that are stumbling blocks. The Bible says they're stumbling blocks. The error of Balaam, which is in the Bible. They tell you the error of Balaam is equated with the error of the Nicolaitan. And so, you know, people say, 
Well, the Nicolaitan, they actually tell you this in Bible studies, that the Nicolaitan had to do with somebody named Nicholas, who was trying to get them to go a particular way. We clearly show in our Bible studies on the Nicolaitans and the Arab Balaam that the Bible tells you that those are the same error, the same problem, whatever those errors were. And we, we show you what those errors are. It doesn't have anything to do with somebody named Nicholas. It has to do with being, becoming conquered people through what Peter calls covetous practices that will make you merchandise and curse your children. This is just a, a common theme throughout the entire Bible. And Matthew continues in that. And he talks about this. And the conflict between the people that want to go the way of Balaam and the Nicolaitan and the people that want to go the way of Christ. And so understanding words will help us understand the gospel. So yes, occasionally I will use a word, but when I looked at, uh, I listened to that interview. It was a while ago, but it's recently come out on podcasts. And uh, we'll, we'll share it with you on the network. But uh, the words that were brought up in that interview, I, I told you what they were. And we also mentioned that, you know, and we mentioned it here, that we have all this at different websites where you can read it, look it up for yourself, and find out what is the truth. But like I said, we're going to go through Matthew 23 today. And if you look in... In most uh, Bibles that have like headings over the different sections of the different chapters, they'll refer to the beginning of Matthew 23 as the seven woes of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, actually I counted eight (laughs) in the text. So I I say eight woes uh, to the scribes and Pharisees because Christ is warning them. Because they had become factions at the altar. You know, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, even the Zealots, uh, the Essenes were factions at the altar. Maybe they were all wrong in some places. Maybe they were right in, in some things and wrong in others. But in looking at them, and of course that's what Christ is doing, he's pointing out to the scribes and the Pharisees, and to the people about the scribes and the Pharisees, that they got something seriously, seriously, seriously wrong. And they got them wrong because of their interpretation of the Old Testament. Because they were interpreting it with the knowledge of men, with the tree of knowledge. They weren't interpreting it with the tree of life. Because they were not keeping the commandments. They thought they were. But they weren't, because they lived in darkness. They had been blinded, because there was something about their own nakedness they did not want to see. There was something about the truth they did not want to see. And Christ is bringing that truth, and immediately they're thinking, how do we kill them? So, I'm going to try to share with you what God has shown me, and see what you can see. And we make this all available to you so that you can 
take your time and chew this and find out what you you can realize is really true and 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 I'm we're constantly updating I've added numerous pages this week that we link to from some of these uh chapters so that we can go into greater depth so that's why I say these are great opportunities to surround your bible studies or at least use this as a guide to your bible studies and uh see what you're willing to see Okay, so chapter 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. Sometimes he's just talking to his disciples. Now he's talking to the multitude and his disciples. Saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid, you observe that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So they are, in essence, somebody who says this is what we're supposed to do, but he doesn't do it. He's kind of a hypocrite, right? Well, we're going to see that word come up too. And of course, I have articles on hypocrites. I have articles on scribes and articles on Pharisees. So if you don't know exactly what a scribe is, you can read that article. If you don't know exactly what it means to be a Pharisee, at least at that time, because there are people today that are calling themselves Pharisees, some of them have some of the same characteristics of the Pharisees back then. But we have to also remember, we don't want to put people into lumps, into groups, because some of the Pharisees followed Christ. It appears that most of them did not. But some Pharisees were not far from the kingdom. So we don't want to divide people up into groups like, you know, you're a Jew and you're a Catholic and you're a Presbyterian. They will divide themselves up into that. But what we just read in Corinthians, that's not our way. We don't divide people up that way. Because God is not divided. There are people who see some things now and may see more later and there are people who don't see some things now and may see less later it depends on what direction they're going all direct, all roads lead to Rome all roads lead to the kingdom of heaven it's about direction so what direction do you want to go and this is the choice that is in your hands but you're going to need the Holy Spirit to make that choice because Holy Spirit is what brings the light so you can see. And when you see the truth about the gospel, you will see the truth about yourself. And so those two things are going to come together. So in verse 4 it says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Well, that's an interesting statement. And uh, the, the, he's also going to talk about phylacteries and the borders of their garments, which has to do with fringe. And, of course, we have articles explaining what that is. What's a phylactery? You know, there's a word that people aren't going to know when you throw it out there. 
right away. Well, you've seen it probably where somebody's wearing a little box on their forehead and it has a little leather thong and it wraps around down to their hand. Well, that's an image. That is a ritual, but it means something. It stands for something. And that's what we're going to be looking at. It's all these words and not only their technical meaning, but what they mean deep down when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back. So we're going to be looking at this and hopefully we will get a better idea of, of Matthew just looking at the, the first uh, few verses here. We see that he's saying that the scribes and Pharisees, I mean, we don't even know who the scribes are. And uh, I mean, today we have an idea that there's somehow they write something, they scribe something. And it actually in the Old Testament, Kafir, uh, has to do with counting, and it's translated scribe also. And so there were people who were counting. Well, of course, the whole nation was organized in in these tens, hundreds, and thousands uh, through the synagogues still at that time, or ten families, and uh, they organized themselves that way. But Moses was putting the power back in the hands of the people. The judiciary power was going back to them. They were establishing a system of like the, those ten families. The elder of those ten families uh, would be whoever the high, uh, oldest father is in the family would be part of a ten-man jury that would decide fact and law amongst the disputes that would occur when you have thousands, maybe millions of people living together or living as a nation. Spread out without your cell phones and without, you know, telephones and and all these things to communicate. You can forget about the next village or the village on the other side of your nation. And the Israelites evidently were spread out all over uh, what we now see as Europe. All, all along the Mediterranean, they weren't just in Israel. There was a a concentration of the tribes in Israel, but they definitely were making settlements all over. They were making boats and and engaged in trade. And so, therefore, people will meet other people. People will start little colonies. And they were all over the place. Certainly at the time of Christ, Jews were all over the Roman Empire. And this had been going on for thousands or more years since the time of Abraham and the time of Moses and the and the Exodus, most of them went to this place that we call Israel today, to that geographical location. But during that period, they moved all over the place. And with them, they brought the ideas that Moses was giving them, that the Bible gives us, that we were endowed by a God with choice. The right to choose. The right to follow certain precepts. And of course the Ten Commandments spell that out in Ten Statements. And Christ makes reference to the Ten Commandments. That if you want to approach life, this eternal life, you need to keep the commandments. And and we've, we've got articles on that that show you what that looks like. It's not about somebody keeping track. Well, you broke this commandment and you broke this commandment. It's not that kind of scribe. 
That's not the job of the scribe. But the scribe were also lawyers at that time. But what were they in the Old Testament? Because we see the word, you know, mentioned in, uh, well, as scribe, we see the word appear in Second Samuel. Uh, at least twice. Translated scribe. Talking about certain people. Shiva was a scribe. Uh, so that, but what were they doing? What does that mean? So they, they're using these words too. And people don't know what they mean. They think they do. But do they? Because the same word that is translated scribe is also translated commune, account, or count, or, or number. As if, you know, you numbered the people. Scribes were doing that. But what were scribes doing before they were numbering the people? They were keeping account of the people so that you didn't lose track. And, of course, the entire system of, of social welfare for Israel and, and the, the tabernacle moving around from area to area was keeping the people together. The first time Reuben started to build a, a altar on the other side of the river and, and the rest of them came with their swords at their sides and said, what are you doing? And he says, well, we're so far away that we were going to build this tabernacle over here for us, but our doors are facing you. We're not doing something separate. We're not dividing the people. We're still staying together. Today, denominationalism has divided everybody. And one of the reasons for that is we don't know the meaning of words. The words like religion. We think religion is what you think about God. 200 years ago in America, that's not the way we defined it. It was a pious performance of a duty. That was religion. To God, but also to our fellow man. So, defining words is very important if we're going to communicate. If we're going to think, we need to know what the words... We, if you think in words, you need to know the meaning of the words you're thinking <laughs> So, you know, I've, I've got dozens of footnotes on this one page showing you the different words we saw there in verse 3. All therefore whatsoever they bid. So, that's a particular word that we see in, in the text where he says they bid. But what word is it? Because it's actually the words they say. What they tell you. So, he's saying, whatsoever they tell you, observe. That observe and do. So, he's telling you to do these things. But their works, he's saying, don't do. <laughs> you're, not, you're not supposed to be doing what they're doing. What, the, what their deeds. That how they are doing things in Israel. You're not to do it that way. You know, because their works are works of iniquity. And he goes through and, and he tells us uh, what those works of iniquities are about. And that's part of this chapter. He's going to tell you some of these things. He's going to give, and he's going to do it by the woes, warning them. 
and he's going to try to point out their hypocrisy. But when he talks in verse 4 that they bind you with heavy burdens, grievous to be borne. Well, how, how are they doing that? How are they binding people? How are they putting burdens on people? If, if they're telling you to do, you know, some particular, it's not washing your hands. That wasn't a heavy burden. Uh, it, it wasn't, you know, wearing a phylactery on your head. That's not a heavy burden. Where, where's the heavy burdens come from? Well, of course, some of the same words that we see here defined as heavy, heavy burdens or portions, uh, that uh, they're putting on the people, protion is is the word that we see, fortion, uh, in the Greek, uh, or or fortos, which has to do with loading, like loading a ship. They're putting burdens on you, and it's a metaphor. It's one of these words that defined as a metaphor that they have burdensome practices, and of course. That is related to what they will we will talk about is the Corbin of the Pharisees was putting a burden on people it because it was compelled offerings it wasn't offerings of choice you weren't like John the Baptist saying if you had an extra coat share it with those that don't have a coat if you have extra food share it with those that don't have enough food well. How do we define extra food? You know, I mean, are you, you know, I've seen this where people have some food or you see it with little kids and, you know, like he's going to share something with his brother and he, he, he breaks a cookie in half and he holds the two cookies up and he sees which one is the bigger and he gives one of them to his little brother or his sister. Well, the question is, did he give him the bigger one or the littler one? <laughs> yes, that's going to give you a measure of the amount of Christianity in the individual. <laughs> is how are they sharing? Well, the the gospel of Christ and the gospel of Moses was about sharing. They had no taxes. Nobody was getting arrested because they didn't tithe enough. I mean, David almost did that. But he repented of it. But uh, when Saul did it, forced to sacrifice, he was called foolish by Samuel. Today, everybody is absolutely willing to force the sacrifices of their neighbor through men who exercise authority to get stuff for free. Well, that's going to cost you. And it is already starting to cost you. And you need to repent of that idea. Of those definitions of what you think is righteous or good. Because it isn't righteous. It isn't keeping the commandments. It doesn't bring you to eternal life. It doesn't guide you in the way. It guides you away from the way. And so... The Pharisees were doing that with their Corban. With their sacrifice. Corban means sacrifice. And and Jesus says the Corban of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect. And we explain the history of how they changed the Corban of the Old Testament to the Corban of the Pharisees. It's a different kind of Corban. 
It's not fervent charity, fervent sacrifice, the the choosing to sacrifice. It's for sacrifice. It's legal charity. Legal means to bind. They were binding you to give contributions to the temple. And those contributions were becoming heavy burdens. Grievous to be born. Laid upon them by the Pharisees. Of course, it didn't start that way. It started small. Under Herod, you know, 50 years before. They were setting this up. It, I mean, it took a while before the the burdens got grievous. Nobody had to sign up if it was grievous to begin with. I mean, it's like Social Security. What was that, 1.5% or one? 1.3% at the beginning. And then now, what is it? Way more. And a lot of other burdens have been added on to that. Well, that took, what, 1933 to today? Well, yeah. And, of course, when did it happen with Herod? Herod was dead a few years after Christ was born, and then he was another 30 years beyond that. And all this time, their system of Corbin, which was you signed up and you had to pay in. And they sent men around to make sure you paid in. And we explain all that in our article on Corbin. But he goes on to say that that somehow they're exempt. And of course, the truth is, the priests were exempt all the way back to the days of Pharaoh. (laughs) So they're still exempt. But they're putting the burdens on them through the government, through the civil government of Herod. They're not doing it directly. But they're doing it through them. And as we pointed out, their Sanhedrin had become a legislature that was not representing God and men, but was now become lawmakers. They were making new rules that were applied to the people who had signed up for the social welfare system of Herod. But what's this about phylacteries that we see in verse 5? But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And those borders are the fringes. And I'll put a link in there. I think there's a link on the page already to our article on fringes. But a phylactery, and, and there's a link there too, a phylactery. And and these phylacteries, like I said, are little leather boxes and they put a little scripture in the box and then they tied it around their forehead. And uh, you could uh, wear that phylactery and and go around and people say, oh, he's devout. He's, he's wearing a phylactery. And uh, it's also called a, a tefillin. It's got a number of different lanes names. But it actually is describing a form of meditation. And and we describe that meditation on a page on meditation, which you can go to also and learn about that. So as much as you want to learn, you can. We have layers and layers of the information. But when they mention phylactery in in this gospel, most people are not going to get what Matthew's talking about, and even if somebody says it was this little box, that then you you still need to know that it's not the box 
It's not the scripture in the box. It's not the leather thong wrapped around your arm. But it was a way of describing a form of meditation, a form of waiting upon the Lord and listening for that still small voice. Not eating of the tree of knowledge during that little period of time that you sit there and you meditate. You, you, you wait upon the Lord and you call for the Lord to show you because you realize you can't figure it out on your own. So you're waiting for the Lord to show you. And this is the, they create a ritual to help you root yourself in the moment when God wishes to show you through revelation of the Holy Spirit. So understanding that you know, I've just described it. Understanding it would require that you do it and experience it and begin to see that, yeah, I can't figure this out with my own brain alone. I can have my brain. I can have information. I can have the definition of words. But really to put the puzzle together, I'm going to need the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I approach that source of life, that Holy Spirit, well, start by keeping the commandments. You know, don't murder anybody. <laughs> don't rob anybody. But also don't covet anybody's goods. Don't uh, adulterate your marriage by fornicating outside of your marriage, committing adultery. But also don't adulterate your church, which the early church provided all the social welfare for Christians. There was plenty of free bread around from Rome and from Corinth and from from Herod's golden temple. But the, many of the Essenes would not eat of those benefits that came by way of Herod. They wouldn't sign up for their system of social welfare. That's why they had to ask the question, does your master pay the tax? Because some people didn't owe the tax because they never signed up. They were unregistered. They were idiotes. But if you don't know these words that are used in the biblical text, you won't know their reference. So, broadening their phylacteries is they're making themselves look like they're devout. Look like they're religious. They got down the garments. They've increased the fringe of their garments. But as we've already shown you, the word garment... In the Hebrew is the same word, it's not in, in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, the same word that we translate into garment can also mean treachery. <laughs> or, or, which is about deception. And so he's, he's making these statements and, and he's been making lots of these statements and people are starting to put it together. In verse 6 he says, and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogue, which had become positions of power. In the original Israel set up by Moses, you were not exercising authority one over the other. You were exercising service one to the other. The leaders were actually picked from the ground up. They were sanctioned, recognized by Moses and by those like the Sanhedrin that Moses created originally to start taking his place which is why they're saying the scribes and Pharisees that sit in the seat of Moses which it would be including the Sanhedrin 
but it was corrupt. And we've explained that corruption to some degree in many of the other recordings. We bring that up. The Sanhedrin had become corrupt. And, and so corrupt that many of them actually left the Sanhedrin. The majority left the Sanhedrin because it was so corrupt. But then they got new guys in there. And of course that's going to happen again in the days of Constantine. We've added more to our articles on Constantine and Eusebius so that we can eventually get into that. We're, we're building this source of information that is also linked to hundreds and hundreds of footnotes. So that you can start to understand these words. And now right away, we've got a, a, another word here, rabbi. It says, and greeting in the marketplace. And to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. So, you know, this word Rabbi, which is is translated actually at some times, Master. And, and it's usually when it's referred to Christ. When somebody calls Christ rabbi nine times, they translate it master in the King James. But also they, five times Jesus is called rabbi and they put in the word rabbi. And other times they're, it's just rabbi. And, and it's the title. It's a title of honor when addressing specifically a teacher. But if we we but we also see this word master in in the text where it says for one is your master. That's a different word. That's not the word uh, rabbi. That's uh, kathegetes, which appears you know three times in the Bible, and it kind of means. A teacher, a master, a guide, but it, the, it. So he's using different words here. But he says, "One is your master, one is your teacher." So who is that teacher, and how does he teach you? Well, that teacher again is the Comforter. It is the Holy Spirit who's going to be writing upon your hearts and upon your minds. He's going to help you organize the knowledge that is in your tree of knowledge. So you know what is true and what is not true. And without that guidance, you're not going to be able to figure it out. Now you may think you will be able to, but that's pride. It's when we get humble that we begin to realize what is really true and what is not really true. So he he's making these references about a teacher. A rabbi is a teacher. The master is a teacher. One is your teacher. Who is that teacher? Immediately. For one is, one is your master. Even Christ. Christ again means anointed. And all ye are brethren. He's not saying. When he says even Christ. He's not even me. He's saying Christ. In the, the, the Greek term. Meaning anointed. Uh, David was called Messiah, Messiah, anointed. Jesus was, whenever you see that word Christ, that means the anointed. 
And God wants all of you anointed by the Holy Spirit so that you can determine what is true and what is not true, not merely by your own knowledge, but with the added revelation of this anointing spirit writing upon your heart and upon your minds. But immediately now in verse 9 he goes, And call no man father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. So he's talking about you don't have all these teachers telling you what's true and what's not true. That doesn't mean you can't listen to people. But that what they tell you, you put it over there in the tree of knowledge. That's information. Ultimately, you need to go to the Holy Spirit to know what that knowledge means in the eyes of God. Because you need the eyes of God. You need the, and only God can give you those eyes. You can't force them from God. <laughs> but he, after explaining all this about one is your teacher, he goes and says, but also call no man on earth father. For one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters. Again, which word is that? We, we show you right there. It's the, it, it's the Greek word, not the rabbi word. For one is your master. And he uses the same word again. Even Christ. Christ is your master. Christ is the anointing. It is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not the image of Christ that you have in your brain based on the knowledge you got from reading the Bible. It's actually the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your mind. But he is the greatest amongst you shall be servant. So now Father, he goes down to servant. What's he doing? Whosoever shall be exalted, him shall be abased. This is a common theme again. And we'll look at that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we were looking in here at this idea of, okay, we're not to be called master. There's one as your master, even the anointed, the anointing, the anointor, which is Christ, which he does this through the Holy Spirit that writes upon your heart and your mind. But he also goes into this, call no man uh, uh, your father upon the earth. To the crowd that was listening, and remember he's talking to the multitude and to his disciples, they all knew exactly what he meant. Because to them at that time, there was a father in Rome, a Patronus, who Patronus meaning our father, who art in Rome, who had been sending gifts, gratuities, and benefits to the people of Judea by way of their system of Corbin. The Corbin was the those things that were taken from the people, their contributions of the people, they were put into a treasury. The word Corbin in the in the text of the New Testament is also translated treasury. When you see it as Corbin, they just put in the word Corbin. But that's a Hebrew word that means sacrifice. So your sacrifices go into a treasury. Jesus has a lot to say about that. But the, it's in that treasury. And from that, they take care of the widows and, and orphans and needy of society, the crippled, the blind, etc. It's a system of social welfare. 
Just like all, see, if you don't know that all the altars of Abraham and the altars of Moses were systems of social welfare to take care of the needy of society and to provide for the needy of society, you're not going to really understand what the sacrifice was all about. If you don't understand that the stones of those altars, the unhewn stones of those altars, are unregulated men. They're, they're men of charity, friends of mankind, that you pick to give your sacrifice to for the redistribution of wealth amongst your community to keep your community together. We were just talking the other day, and our community used to be pretty tight-knit. Everybody knew each other really well. Well, we've had a lot of people move into the community over the years. New houses coming up here and there. I mean, it used to be, there was one house here when we came. And uh, and then we cleared the ground and we built this house. Now there are houses all around us. It's not like a suburb, but the, the, to the way it was before, there's quite a few houses here. We were just talking about some people that live here. We never see. We never meet. We never run into them. We don't even know who they are. They don't come to any gathering. Uh, there used to be a church building in the community, and we used that as a kind of a community center, but somebody bought it from the church and wanted to kind of make it their own church, and then they divided all the people with their doctrine, and now the the only people that meet like a the, your standard church actually meet down in a room behind the restaurant. And very few people meet in the building that used to be the church. More and more of these divisionary things have been coming into the community. But remoteness used to bring us together because of the fact that we were so far to town and so far to hospitals and so far to grocery stores that people were a tighter-knit community. But the geography has decreased because now we can drive to town and all this stuff, but now we may be coming on a time when we can't drive to town so easy because gas prices are going up, etc., etc. So it may force us to come back to community again and depend upon that community. But in order to do that, we're going to have to set aside of all of our doctrines. And if you go read our pages on Constantine and Eusebius, you'll see that it's doctrines that started dividing people. And that's why in Corinthians, Paul is warning you, don't start creating all these doctrines, the doctrine of Apollo, the doctrine of Paul. There is one, Christ. And to know that Christ is to know him spiritually. And to know him spiritually is an anointing of that spirit writing upon your heart and your mind. But here I'm giving you a piece of knowledge. The fathers of the earth were the senators of Rome. They were called conscripti patri, conscripted fathers. They were taking the place of the natural father in the family. Because you didn't look to your family for your social welfare. And you didn't look to your your churches for your social welfare when your family broke down. That's why they always are referring to pure religion as you know, the 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 visitation, the caring for 
the widows and orphans. That's the people whose families have broken down. Widows and orphans represent the people that family, you know, somebody died, somebody got sick, somebody got injured, whatever, and they needed, still needed help. But where did they get that from? Well, they got it from other families. And they got it through a system of charitable altars of men where the community would give to the, these men and then give to those who needed. And some people say, well, why don't we just give to them directly? Well, you can certainly do that. But there's a problem with that. And we've, we've shown that over and over again. If there's no oversight of the giving, how do you know... You you went and you said, oh, the, the guy says, oh, I don't have any money for food or, you know, and our, our family is all going hungry. And so you give him a, a hundred bucks. You don't know that another guy just gave him five hundred bucks or somebody else offered him a job so that he, he could earn the five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. But he didn't want the job. He wanted the free handout. We know that's human nature. So you have to have some kind of oversight. Somebody in charge of that giving. And that's what the early church was. That was the men who you looked out amongst yourselves and found men you trust and put them in charge of that giving. But if you found out, wait a minute, this guy really has, you know, I I knew a a pastor who was giving uh, somebody a place to stay and, uh, and giving him food, giving him money to go out and look for a job. And uh, was trying to get him back on his feet, and he and he supposedly only had a few dollars left, but they'd give him enough money to go to town and and get something to eat and, while he looked for a job. And what he was doing when he went to town was panhandling, and he could collect a hundred, two hundred dollars panhandling all day. He wasn't looking for a job, but he knew he had a place to go and stay and sleep for free and be warm. One night the 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 pastor went up there to check on the guy and he looked in the window to see if he was okay because he see a light on. He didn't want to wake him up if he'd gone to sleep. He had money all over the table, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. He was out there counting all the money he had. The next day they said, well, you have enough money? He says, no, I, I, I spent the last money on food and everything. He says, I know you're a liar. <laughs> I ha- you have all this money. I saw you with it last night. <laughs> I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> he knew what the guy was. The guy was a liar. So, you know, that day, the pastor and the beggar learned something. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll learn something. Is that you need some kind of oversight. But either you're taking care of the needy through love and charity, or you're taking care of the needy through force and violence. If you're taking care of the needy through force and violence, you have a system of legal charity where men who exercise authority one over the other can take away from somebody to give you stuff for free. And of course, the fathers of Rome, the conscripti patri, the senate, or the emperor, the Patronus, our father who art in Rome, were giving shiploads of grain to the temple of Herod and also to the temple of Roma for redistribution amongst the poor to win his own popular support. 
Because people will vote for him. Did you know that there was an actual election? It was an indirect election. It wasn't a direct democracy. But there was an electoral college, and that was the Senate. (laughs) And the guys who were sent to the Senate were sent to the Senate because they had the supports of the locals. You do the same thing. I mean, they looked. They read the, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. At the time, they were writing the Constitution. They were looking at the government of Rome. And you will read our articles on that. Rome. <laughs> so anyway, uh, and you start understanding the meaning of words. So when he's saying, call no man on earth father, he's talking about a system of government. And neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ, but he that is greatest amongst you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. In other words, Christ was creating a government, which eventually would be called the church, but it was the called out, or he called out men to, and he appointed to them a kingdom. And they were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercised authority. They were to exercise love. So they were going to depend upon the free will offerings that was a matter of the personal choices of those people in their congregation. They were going to let them choose how much they wanted to give. They had no way of putting heavy burdens on you. The only way that could happen is that you joined some sort of civil government and you said, I'm not going to look to the church anymore for my free bread in case I have a need. I'm going to look to the government that exercises authority. I know that government's going to take away from my neighbor, but I feel safer and do, I have more faith in the power of that government to take away from my neighbor than I have faith in God and his system of love and charity. You have to say that somewhere, in some way in your mind, in order to move from a system of fervent charity to a system of legal charity. And of course, that's what people did. And that is what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. And Jesus is talking about that. So in verse 13, when he gets about to say, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. They altered the system. See, in order to, to approach life, approach the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven... You have to keep the commandments. You can't be coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. You're you're not going to have your eyes open. If your eyes are open to that, then there's going to be more you can see. But if you refuse to see that, then your 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 sight is going to you know because Christ didn't just come to give sight to the blind. He also said he's going to take away from sight from those that say they see. How's he going to do that? Well, it's built in automatically. 
that if you don't want to see the truth about the fact that we've abandoned the ways of Christ while going to churches and singing praises and saying, Lord, Lord, then you're not going to have your eyes all the way open to see all the other things that God wants to share with you. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. How were they devouring widows' houses? Well, the taxes were imposed. They were forced. A widow still going to owe the tax. She's not going to have a husband to help her out, but she's going to owe the tax. And she's going to fall on the need of the the government of the scribes and Pharisees, the scribes keeping account, you know, how much do you have a right to, and, you know, based on the rules that we have written down. It's not about love and charity and, and visiting the widows and orphans in pure religion, unspotted by the world of the scribes and Pharisees. But we do this today. We devour widow houses all the time. Through inheritance tax. Husband dies. And say the house is not in the widow's name. With the right of survivorship. She now inherits her husband's house. And she has to pay an inheritance tax on that. And, and the orphans. How much are they? that's going to come from them too. But it's not just that. The all kinds of Medicare, Medicaid, you, you, in order to get some of these extra benefits, you, you have to be stone broke. Uh, the, the property taxes on the house are going to stay the same even though the husband's dead. We've seen where a woman had her house taken away because she owed six dollars. We've talked about that. That's an actual case here in the United States. There's, this, there are thousands and thousands of cases where widows lose the home. Because they can't pay the taxes. They don't have a breadwinner in the house. They're barely making ends meet. They've had to go back to work. They're struggling to get. But the house is paid for. But the the property tax steals it from them. We just had a case where a widow was living here for years and years and years. And her taxes were way higher than they should have been for the shack she lived in. And we brought it to the attention of the tax collector. You know, the tax assessor. And he didn't do anything about it. She said, well, she had to come. She was afraid to come in. She was intimidated by that. She's a very private and quiet woman. And finally, uh, we, because of influence, we got the tax assessor to go to her. <laughs> we got a different tax assessor who was a little bit more hard. And discovered she was way overpriced taxes. And he could only take it back a few years. But he gave her a refund. But then she died. But the reality was, uh, it, the refund was only for a few years. She had paid thousands and thousands of dollars in taxes while she was a widow. And they, you know, if she couldn't have paid that, they would have foreclosed on her and taken the house away. While everybody was still going to churches and singing in their churches. Happens every day in America. Happens every day in America. But nobody sees it. Because you don't have eyes to see. Because you're going to the fathers of the earth for your daily bread. 
And Jesus is going to talk about that when he, when he, when he talks to you about how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. He means not our Father who art in Rome. Again, the church was the entire social welfare for all Christians who would not eat at the table. Paul talks about this. Would not eat at the table of rulers. Of course, Proverbs tells us that. If you be a man of appetite and you sit and eat with a ruler, put a knife to your throat. For he serves you deceitful dainties, deceitful meats. And the, which are a snare. David tells you this. Paul quotes David. Their system of welfare is a snare and a trap. Their table of welfare is a snare and a trap. It will make you merchandise, Peter tells you. And of course, we explain in links and articles exactly how this works both legally but spiritually. But if you don't want to know the meaning of words, you don't want to know the meaning of the gospel, you can continue to worship the doctrines that have been given you by men. Not the doctrine of Christ. Because Christ is very clear. We're not to be that way. But people don't want to see it. So these guys are shutting up the kingdom of God. From the people because they've got them engrossed in a system of legal charity that is not based on love, but based on force. John the Baptist preached against that and they hated John the Baptist. Christ preached what John the Baptist was preaching and they hated Christ. Well unto you scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites, you devour those widows' houses. And like I say, that's the greater damnation. And you do it so that you can have free education and free whatever it is that you want to finance. You take the whole house away. You sell it at auction. That's what happened to the lady who owed six dollars. She was trying to pay the tax. She and she was behind, and she eventually thought she had completely paid up, but there was still six dollars missing. They took her house, sold it at auction, <laughs> and she could not get it back. It took years in court. All kinds of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars helping her because it was such an egregious thing. But most of the cases never get heard in your churches. You never do anything about it because you don't realize that you're supposed to be attending to what Jesus calls the weightier matters. You most There's a phrase, what's the weightier matters? Jesus tells you. If if you ask your pastor and he doesn't know what Jesus calls the weightier matters, get another pastor. So verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass the sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. So what's a proselyte? I mean, there's a word. Uh, you know, it's, it's, actually the Greek word is proselytos. So they, you know, whenever they don't really translate the Greek into a mean, <laughs> it, it means a newcomer. It can also mean a stranger, an alien, somebody who is not familiar. And, you know, the rabbis and the Pharisees distinguished two classes of proselytes. One was the righteous ones who received circumcision. 
and, and the other one, you know, including the Mosaic Law, and, and was required to keep Judaism, and then the one that was uncircumcised. So they, they created this division. Now, it, this is the definition. I'm kind of paraphrasing it right out of the concordance. But what's circumcision? What does that mean, circumcision? You know, what What does leaven mean? Again, words. We all use them. What do they mean? It, it, Moses talks about a circumcision of the heart. So what part of the heart are we cutting off of to circumcise the heart? Uh, what is that really all about? And, you know, it's it's cutting off the selfishness. That's, you know, where we're willing to do things not simply for our own personal pleasure, but for the sake of righteousness. That's circumcision. And leaven, what is leaven? Getting the leaven out of your house? It's getting the cruelty out of your system, out of your household, out of all your, within your borders. You're supposed to, you know, a lot of Jews today, Orthodox Jews, who are following these unmoored rituals and rites that are unmoored from their meaning, they will take the leaven and put it all in a box and take it over to Agoya's house and, and leave it with them until after the feast days and then they'll go back and get their leaven and bring it back into their house. Of course, the Bible tells you to get the leaven out of your borders. So you actually, according to that, if we're going to be literal, we got to mail our leaven outside of the country <laughs> and get it mailed back. We just recently mailed something outside of the country. That is getting expensive. <laughs> And don't send anything cheap abroad. So anyway, the reality is is that you know it's it's the system. Do you have a system of charity based on free will offerings or forced offerings? Because if they're forced offerings, those offerings will often be extracted with an element of cruelty, which may cause what is an orphan's house to be robbed from them. It may cause all kinds of things. It may cause somebody to work themselves to death to try to meet their tax burden. The grievous and heavy burdens put upon you by the Pharisees who had unioned themselves with the civil state of Herod and had implemented a system of social welfare based on the civil authority that where the right hand is forcing the left hand's contributions. Because that's going to make the word of God to none effect. It's going to return you to the bondage of Egypt. It's going to make you human resources, merchandise. It's going to curse your children with debt as soon as they can start borrowing against the future of your children. That's what's going to happen. Wait a minute. That's already happened. Okay. So now, Jesus is going to tell you the way back. And of course, he's got to tell you what the problem is. But you've got to be able to interpret these simple words so that you understand so that you don't receive greater damnation so you don't don't make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves woe unto you ye blind guides which say whosoever shall swear by the temple it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. 
So what is all this swearing? You know, Jesus is going to tell us to swear not. And, you know, James is going to tell us above all else, stop the taking of oaths. We'll tell you that when we come back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So what what is he talking about here when he's talking about these blind guides? And of course we we can see all the time that there's all kinds of references to uh false prophets. Uh sometimes a false prophet he isn't so blind, he knows the truth, he's just trying to lead you away from the truth, but often he doesn't know it either. He's blind. Well, how do you, how do you get eyes to see? And ears to hear. Well, of course, try keeping the commandments. But we saw saw this, you know, blind leaders reference in Matthew fifteen fourteen, where he talks about that. And if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a ditch. They both get into trouble. But you can find it back in in Isaiah thirty twenty, where they're talking about, you know, thine eyes shall see thy teachers. Rabbis are teachers. You know, my sheep hear my voice. So many people are going to listen to this and they're not going to get it. Or they're going to, it's, it's going to be overwhelming. And they're thinking, well, what can I do about it? Well, repent. Think differently. Be willing to see that we've thought wrong. That we did not see something. Luke six thirty nine, And he spake a parable unto them. Can... The blind lead the blind. Shall they not both fall into the ditch? He's just repeating again what we saw before in the other Gospels. But in Acts 13.11, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season, and immediately... There fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. So you you either choose to see or you won't see. You won't see anymore. You'll become blind. So this is an opportunity to start looking at the Gospels and the wholeness of those Gospels. So all this talk about swearing, like I said, James says, above all else, stop the taking of oaths. So this is very important. Well, where do you take oaths? He's talking about oaths of the temple and oaths of the gold. And and, and what is that? Well, again, it's back to that system of Corbin, where you signed up. You agreed that I'm going to pay in a percentage of what I produce. If I produce so much grain, a percentage of that grain is going to go to the temple. If I produce, uh, you know, catch so many fish, a percentage of that fish is going to go an equal value. And the tax collector could help you figure all that out. And, of course, he gets a cut of how much he brings in. So to him, it's to his advantage to bring in as much as possible. Which is why Jesus has all these parables about the good servant who says... Well, what can you afford to bring in? What can you afford to pay? I can only pay this much. Pay it in full. You're not going to find that amongst most civil tax collectors today. But the tax collectors of the kingdom, we don't call it taxes, we call it tithes. Whatever you pay is okay with us. It's between you and God. 
we don't need as many accountants <laughs> keeping track of what you pay and don't pay. And also because of the fact that the church was to be organized in small groups, networked together, it's not so hard to count. And of course, again, back to that meaning of the word, or the original word scribe is someone who takes account. It's actually the, the same word in the Hebrew, kafar, it, it means an enumerator or muster office. In other words, when they had a need, you know, I mean, he knew all the, he was counting the people. And when, you know, there's a flood, and we're going to need a hundred guys over here making sandbags to stop this flood from taking out these homes. He would, as a muster officer, he would call for a hundred guys to come and fill sandbags. <laughs> or if it was an invading force or whatever it was, a forest fire or whatever it was. This was a government. Israel was a government. It wasn't a, a corner synagogue where you go to have somebody tickle your ears and make you feel good. It was a way in which to survive. And the sooner you figure out that leaven has nothing to do with yeast <laughs> and phylacteries have nothing to do with the leather box or tiflin has nothing to do with the leather box and that sewing the breeches of your ministers has nothing to do with his underwear. And a red heifer, the sacrifice of the red heifer, has nothing to do with a red bovine. That these are metaphors and symbols. Then when you read Matthew, you know, and he's talking about hypocrites and fathers, called no man father, who's he talking about? It's very important that you start understanding and swearing by the temple. Because that's how they're able to put heavy burdens on you. You swore that you would pay a percentage. They don't care about you having other problems. They don't care about you died. Your widow still owes the tax. Oh, you can't pay the tax? We'll take your house. You guys are doing that today. Just like the scribes and Pharisees who were hypocrites, you are hypocrites today because your churches are letting that happen. Because you have created a system where men who exercise authority take away from your neighbor to provide you with free stuff today. And they take away from your children's future by borrowing a month. You, you hear it every day in the news, but your brain is not making the connection. But if you really want to repent and seek the kingdom of God, you will. I can show you the whole history of how that connection is broken and whole nations became blind again. But I'm interested in you finding out how to see again. And he that sweareth by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. So he says all that, and then he goes into verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise in coming, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, of judgment, of mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done, and not leave the other undone. So, the weightier matters. So they weren't doing that. They weren't attending to the weightier matters. 
of law, which includes judgment, mercy, and faith. They were willing to rob the widow's house, take away her house, because she owed the tax. And so, and they had implemented this system through the civil government. A unification of church and state. But it wasn't a unification, a unification of church and state because Herod decided to establish his own church like Constantine did. It was the people who weren't going to let their neighbor have the freedom of choice and went to the state and said, yes, you force my neighbor to contribute to my welfare. See, originally when they went to Samuel and they wanted a king, they wanted a king just to be the commander-in-chief of their military. It evolved eventually into more, where he was forcing a sacrifice to fund the army. But you, once you went over that line, Samuel said, your kingdom's not going to stand. It's going to collapse. And of course, Samuel had already told them that if you decide to have a king, eventually he will take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And he'll put heavy burdens on you and you're going to cry out and God's not even going to hear you. Now, if you want God to hear you now, because you've already done the same thing, you have to hear the cries of your neighbor. When you moved away from fervent charity to legal charity, you became blind. And you became deaf to the gospel. And no matter how many times I show you the definition of the words, you won't get it. How many people will hear this and will not get it? So those blind guides began to strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. What they were doing is, oh, you've got to believe this doctrine. You have to believe this doctrine. They're made up doctrines by men. They may be based on the Bible. But they weren't specifically stated by Christ. Yet they took a little verse here and a little verse there and they created all kinds of doctrines. And you have to believe those doctrines. You have to say the magic words or you're, you're out. But they swallowed the camel, which is the, the idea that legal charity is okay. Guaranteed by the fathers of the earth who will force the contributions of my neighbor or maybe foreigners. You know, go outside of our nation and look for those proselytes, those foreigners. Encompass, you know, conquer other nations like, you know, the Gauls. Rome did this. They weren't going to get away with taxing all the people to set this system up. But they could go over and they could kill a million Gauls and sell their wives and children, their widows, into bondage. Rob their houses. Give them to their cronies. And take the money, the profit, put it into the temple of Jupiter and give away free bread to all the people. And the people say, oh, we love it. We love Caesar. We love this candidate or that candidate because he's giving us all this free stuff. We don't care where he got it, but it's free. But you're not. And you're not going to be until you see the truth of that and repent of it. And repenting of it means they turn around and go the other way. And Christ is showing you that way. He goes on in verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. 
you bind you you bind Pharisees. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that that the outside of them may be clean also. In verse twenty-seven, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres. A sepulchre is a tomb. You know, which indeed appears beautiful outwardly, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Which, you know, like the words that we see uh, for iniquity, uh, you know, the, the, it's it's uh, anomia or anomios, depending on you know whether we're talking nouns or verbs, etc. But uh, it is translated iniquity, but also it's translated unrighteousness. And they talk about the wages of unrighteousness, and the wages of unrighteousness. What are those? Those are the benefits, the dainties, the rulers. That they get by taking away from somebody else to give to you. It's bad enough that you, you've allowed such a system to be created while pretending to be Christians and following Christ. But now you want to partake it. You want to eat at their table. Well, you can eat at their table if you want, but you would be better off fasting and setting the table of the Lord. Because then your eyes will be open and you'll be able to see all the other things. Verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. Garnish, you know, take from the sepulchers of the righteous. But, uh, and say... If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Yet we know that they've already plotting the death of Christ and had plotted the death of John the Baptist. They couldn't see it. They didn't understand. But they didn't understand because they chose not to see that they were engaged in covetous practices. I pray you do not choose to deny the fact that the whole world has followed the covetous practices of the scribes and Pharisees. That you realize that all the problems of the nations today come from the fact that we have decided that it was okay to covet our neighbor's goods. It was okay to take away from our neighbor by force so that we could be socially secure. I pray that you see that and repent of that and start doing what Christ actually said, what Moses actually said. If you're a Jew and you do what Moses actually said, you will be more Christ-like than many Christians. And God will see your heart. God is judge. So verse 31. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Because they're the children of the spirit of them that killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. 
ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. He's saying that this generation is doing the same thing right there, then. I'm saying that it's we too are following in that path of history. We have been doing it now for decades upon decades. And there, God will not persevere with us forever. There will be the consequences of our choices. And we're seeing it already. You see it every day in the news and you're trying to figure out, well, we gotta fix this, we gotta fix this. Well, God can fix this if you repent and seek the kingdom of God. Set the table of the Lord instead of the table of devils. And start taking care of one another out of love for one another. And not out of greed and lasciviousness. Verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered their chicks under her wings, and ye would not. You would not be gathered. Don't be like that. Be willing to approach the light. See the truth of the gospel, of the kingdom, that operated by faith, hope, and charity. And turn away fast from the gospel that lives by force, fear, and fealty. Because that's what it brings you. It brings you, makes you merchandise. That's fealty. Subordinate. Under the oaths that you have taken. To men who do not love you. And do not love God. To the men who are blind guides. They don't see. Forgive them. They know not what they do. I got that. Focus on what you should be doing. That will be a greater witness. And it will be like hot coals upon their heads. And unfortunately, they will want to kill you. But of course, the reality is they already want to kill you. <laughs> we, I've heard about indictments in Italy and other places of uh, ministers of health who withheld information. They're actually in, supposedly indicting them for murder. I don't know if that's 100% accurate. But that will be interesting. Uh, we saw Switzerland, people in Switzerland, high up in Swiss government, who were expressing that on certain web pages that they had put up, pointing out the fact that there had been false information spread by the government that has led to the death of many people. And they were saying they were going to hold them in account. Well, that website's gone now. <laughs> so uh, they don't want you to know the truth. But I'm talking to you about the truth down on the 
on the where the rubber meets the road. You, in your heart and in your mind. Because governments aren't going to change till men change. As you're willing to repent and gather together and start doing what Christ actually said to do, the doctrine of Christ itself, things will change. So, like I said in verse 38, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. This is what's happening. But in verse 39, For I say unto you, Ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So this was the message of Matthew 23. And of course, he didn't write in chapters. So it will take you, we will take you in the afternoon show into Matthew 24, which is also tied to Matthew 25. And uh, Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. I'm telling you the destruction of the Roman Empire and the new holy Roman Empire, which is really the unholy Roman Empire. That destruction is coming. And I don't have to be a prophet. I'm just a student of history. That if you see all these things coming about, and he's going to talk about that, you know that something's going to happen. We call it the wrath of God, which just means the consequences of God. So, and God has set all this into motion to begin with. And, and you know, all the people, all the atheists who, who, who think that, well, there is no God. Yet they believe that there is law in the universe. They believe that what, what, the, the chemistry just made up this law. <laughs> no, it is, it is the metaphorical explanation of creation that tells us there is a law. That it's universal. That it's consistent. And I'm just talking about the law of behavior. What you choose to do and what you choose not to do. And you have to be a doer of the word. And of course the word is the logos. And the logos is right reason. And the right reason is the pattern of God's creation. And you were made in the image of God. And the more you know yourself as you were meant to be, the more you will know God. But if you don't want to know the truth, if you don't want to know parts of the truth, if you want to avoid that truth, if you want to turn your back on that truth, which we find here in the gospel, that we aren't to live by covetousness, we're to live by love. We are, we, we serve the God of sacrifice, who gives life to other, gives the right to choose to other. If we will not give the right to choose to other, we will lose our liberty. The greatest destroyers of liberty are those who spread amongst the people gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And when they do it by taking away from your neighbor, they seal you in the fate of the blind. And we need to repent of that. We need to turn around from that. And we need to actually move, seek, persevere, Seek that kingdom of God and his righteousness which sets the table of Christ, the king. And until we set the table of Christ, the king, we're going to only have the table of rulers to eat of. And in the days ahead, we're going to need other provisions. So, it is very important that we all start turning around and going the other way. Because 
it is foretold that destruction shall come upon us like a thief in a night. It's going to happen quickly. And people will be like in the days of Noah. Where, you know, they couldn't, you know, can you get your ark out of my driveway kind of thing? <laughs> where we can't figure out what he's doing. Why is he doing this? We can't see it. They couldn't see it. They couldn't believe it. But they didn't have eyes to see. They didn't have ears to hear. So if you're hearing this gospel, you can go back and listen to all the other uh, recordings we have and read the other pages. But really join the network at Preparing You or at HisHolyChurch.org. Start coming together. Organize yourselves. And until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.